1: Hey, everybody, it's Joe Trippy, and welcome back to That Trippy Show. This week, Democrats are in whatever the opposite of disarray is. The House GOP, though, is a whole different story. One of the biggest impacts of Democrats overperforming in the November 2022 election midterms is something we have not talked a whole lot about how chaotic the GOP is going to be. Oh, wait, I've talked about that. So we thought we'd welcome back our friend, Trigby Olson, who we've been working with to mess with MAGA Republicans since we joined the Lincoln Project to break it all down. Trigby, welcome back.
2: Thanks for having me on, Joe. It's always good to be here with you guys.
1: Alex, get us started. Where do you want to go? Yeah, guys, I think this one's
3: going to be really fun today. This is kind of the culmination of a lot of calls that the three of us have been on for the last several weeks and something we started really talking about. Joe, again, you're right. You've hit it for months that how crazy it could be. But right now with, as you said, Joe, the effects of the 22 midterms, the GOP does not have anything like a big majority in the House. There are dozens of totally nuts Right wing members of Congress, the MTGs of the world, the Jim Jordans, who have zero faith in Kevin McCarthy as Speaker whatsoever. So I wanted to start with first of all, you've got the Democratic side, which there's like a unity here that we have not seen in a long time, right? What do you guys think of how the Democrats have done to kind of coalesce or kind of bring in this new generation?
1: Well, I mean, first of all, everybody had to step aside to make room for the new generation of leadership, Pelosi. Steny Hoyer all pretty much did that. And so you've got this, you know, new generation of leadership on the Democratic side. Hakeem Jeffries, elected minority leader. Catherine Clark is whip. Pete Aguilar, head of the caucus. And Jim Clyburn is staying, uh, will be assistant leader. And fact, it's interesting because that's where the press is sort of doing like, oh, there's a little disarray on the Democratic side. They didn't do it. To- yeah, give me a break. So no, I think... You know, it's pretty historic uh, for Jeffrey's first black congressional leader of either party and the entire party leadership as a whole, women, people of color. So, I mean, it just shows the vast diversity a- and that it's not disarray. It was a peaceful transfer of power that we haven't seen too much of, but it happened. And I think that's great. I'd much rather listen to what, because I, I have no clue. The only thing I know about the, on the Republican side, uh, I mean, there are a lot of things, one, it's going to be crazy. Two, I still maintain, I don't believe McCarthy's going to be able to pull this off, but I'd love to get Trigg's take
2: on it. Well, so on the Democrat side, you know, I watched this unfold and and I was thinking about this the other night. It's not just a passing of a torch to a younger generation. Really, it's the first time that you've had Generation X leaders stepping forth in the Democrat party. So you're seeing a generational shift and you kind of alluded to that, but it's interesting because- On the Republican side in the House, of course, you had that a little earlier when Paul Ryan became Speaker, right? Like he was first generation X Speaker and ended up getting rolled by Trump, a baby boomer. So it didn't really work out. And Kevin McCarthy's part of that generation. I think on the Democrat side, it's a real natural, like their transition seemed much more seamless than it did on the Republican side, because what you remember about Paul Ryan becoming Speaker, Paul Ryan became Speaker because Kevin McCarthy couldn't. Right. And I think some of those same dynamics about McCarthy are what's going on right now. Part of it is the Republican House caucus has been a bad marriage of coalitions on the right for quite a long time. They don't really want to be together. From a policy and what they're trying to accomplish standpoint, you know, you have the people like Paul Ryan, who, you know, obviously being from Wisconsin, somebody I've known for a long time, who genuinely has an ideology and was able to form a consensus coalition. But you have a lot of people like McCarthy, who's sort of that corporate button down Republican side that thinks they can manage the crazy side. And right now, and I think this gets to your point, Joe, about why McCarthy is going to have a hard time, that crazy side has the upper hand, just as they gained the upper hand in the 2016 primaries in the Republican Party. And so McCarthy is forced to try and patch a coalition together because the majority is so small. And I think he's really going to struggle with it, too. The, The level of crazy in that caucus is massive. and we have to remember, you know, Kevin McCarthy was in line to be speaker before and got taken down by the Freedom Caucus people. And this time he's got a margin of four. So I don't know how he patches it together. I think we have the potential over the course of the next, you know, three months as this unfolds, maybe longer, to be at a place we haven't been at since like 1864 with a majority in the House that can elect a speaker. And then it will be interesting to see where that unfolds, because at some point you would think that some of those Republicans who went there to do things, to achieve some policy objectives and are willing to work with Democrats, if they don't start saying to some Democrats, what do we do to get a, to get a sane speaker and what kind of deal can we cut the other way?
1: Well, they're not going to get a sane speaker. I don't think the problem is if it's this coalition that now exists within the Republican Party. And the weight the crazies have, I just, I still don't see how anybody currently in the Cox, like Scalise, I just don't see how they can put it all together. I mean, maybe Stephanic.
2: Well, I mean, Elise is clearly angling for the job, but I, I don't see her getting being the compromise candidate either. Maybe she can get herself. Well, to but that she place. was the moderate but, that became. You
1: know, The Trumper. You (laughs) know what I'm saying? So maybe she can get the crazies and some of the moderate. I mean, but that's what you're that's what you have to piece together. And and maybe you have to keep them all when all the moderates over. So I I just don't see who. And
2: she's tarred with the fact. I mean, here's the thing. If you're one of those moderates who was loyal to Liz Cheney, are you going to condone the behavior that Elise Stefanik undertook to get herself in that position to your friend? Liz, who you were supportive and felt like she was speaking the truth. And there's probably four people in the House caucus who fit that bill. Um, I know at least two of them, right, who probably would never vote for Stefanik just over that. So then you only need two others. And I don't know the House Republican caucus on an individual basis to that level, but I can't imagine that there aren't. That's why I say if it's impossible to build a a coalition to elect a speaker and they keep trying and trying and trying, Which hasn't happened since 1864 or 1854, something like that. Uh,
1: Yeah, wasn't that like over 100 ballots? I think 135. 135. Yeah, right. A lot.
2: And so at that point, at some point, you've got to think that the the reasonable members on both sides, the Democrats and the Republicans, you know, that there wouldn't at least start being conversations of how do we how do we have a bipartisan election because we've got to have somebody as a speaker
1: i think those conversations are happening right now as a plan b but they're you know they got to wait for everything to fall apart but they're probably all talking now they have to be because this is just too crazy for words
2: well and i think they understand the stakes
1: yeah exactly the thing is guys there just aren't that many
3: left right on the republican side who could be considered moderate or could could be part of this. I mean, by my count, and I, I might be wrong on this, I'm pretty sure there's only two pro-impeachment Republicans left in the House. I think it's David Valadeo and, from California and I think Dan Newhouse from Washington. Everybody else either retired or lost. I mean, like the the Tom Rice's the world got destroyed in their primaries. Kinzinger and Cheney are out. You know, and then there's a couple that voted for the infrastructure bill last year. But I mean, they're they're mostly all gone too. I mean, it's like Fred Upton, who's out Don Young. I mean, like the pickings are slim here in terms of something that could be palatable to Democrats. Right. I mean, it,
1: yeah, but you also have the, I, I think the other thing is the elephant still in the room. When does Donald Trump throw some grenade into this stuff? Does he get behind a Stefanik or something like that? That. Creates even a bigger problem. He could actually kill somebody by hugging them. And I wouldn't put that beyond him by any means.
2: Well, I mean, these kinds of elections, Joe, it's a little bit like I don't know how it is on the Democrat side, but on the Republican side, when you get to the Iowa caucus, it's a Democratic side. Democratic side. You got to understand like, Democratic side. Yeah, I yeah. get I get hit with. I have a I have a person on Twitter every time I'm on any podcast, and I thank them for for following me. Who's like, man, I love what you say about democracy, but you got to get Democratic and Democrat like right. straight in your head. But um, the. uh, The thing about caucuses is they're like church politics, right? Because the universe is so small. You're talking about an even smaller electorate of, you know, ultimately 435 people. This is, it will be hand-to-hand combat. But to your point about Trump, I'm not sure that there's anybody because of the divisions. And these divisions are more representative. It is the people's house after all, are more representative of the the way the country is really divided not into two pieces, Republican and Democrat, red and blue. But in reality, it's divided into like four or five pieces, right? And so how you get a coalition together like that is a really hard question. I mean, it's going to be hand-to-hand individual combat. And you're right. If Donald Trump endorses somebody, that for every person it adds, it probably subtracts an equal number. And so therein lies the rub until they figure out how to get to the center, because they're playing multi-dimensional politics, but they're trying to encapsulate it into two pieces by a binary choice.
3: Well, then you factor in the fact that the congressional map shaping up for 2024, I mean, a lot of Republicans won in Biden districts. I mean, not enough to make it a wave, obviously, as we've gone over, but, you know, a lot of the The like 15, 20 ish people that might be considered moderates. I mean, they're all looking very closely at their jobs for next cycle.
1: Well, but yeah, but you got five of them that won their seats by collected 3,240 votes. There are people sitting in districts right now who they won. And by the way, they're not all middle of the road. You know, you got Bobert and Colorado 3, who won her seat by, I think, like 524 votes. They're going to double down. I think I, I agree with you, Alex. They're going to be really not wanting to go with... You know, they want to be a more moderate caucus and a more moderate speaker in terms of the direction of the party. But they're in the same hostage situation. If they buck the MAGA folks and where the crazy part of the caucus wants to go... Those folks may not come out and vote for them in the 2024, so do they double down? What do they do? This is going to be a real mess, not just for the speakership, but I think it's going to create a lot of problems for them in some of these races in 2024, because if the more the crazy caucus has control, the crazier stuff it does. Look at what happened in 2022, which, I, as I was saying, throughout the year If they keep doing the crazy and we do the work, we'll win. Well, we had four years of chaos, president. We're going to have two years of a chaotic, crazy Congress, and I'm not sure in those places where Biden won, or even these like like the just the five really close ones. It it doesn't seem to me that that's going to be helpful to winning and for them to win in 2024 at all. In fact, I think it's just like why. I now think even though the Senate map's tougher for Democrats in 2024 than 2022, the crazy party's still here. Look, we all know it's going to be here for a while, but this speakership fight could be like Craig says. I mean, it could be like ballot after ballot. I just don't see how McCarthy can hold it together, but we'll see.
2: Here's the other thing about if he if they end up going ballot after ballot, that at some point, right, okay, it goes to a second ballot or a third ballot. That's unprecedented in modern times but in the bigger scheme of things not a big deal but like if it becomes a complete shit show where they can't elect and it becomes starts becoming obvious to the to the world literally that they can't do this that creates a level of uncertainty in which there's opportunity for both really bad stuff to happen, but also for really good stuff to happen in that fight between autocracy and democracy, because it could expose them as completely unserious to the American people. And I think it it creates the potential to expand the Bannon line because those fault lines are going to be being played out in public everywhere.
3: So Trigvi, I'm glad you brought up the Bannon line. I want to get to that in a minute. But before we do, I just want to zoom out historically for a second. Have you guys ever seen A fight like this before in Congress where it's so I don't want to say up in the air but there's so many fault lines here where it's tough for anybody to grab the reins and and have you
1: Has what could happen here this is so crazy no one really wants the reins (laughs) you know i'm mccarthy that's why he has no one it's it's really kind of interesting really it's like you know he's begging the party to take him and they don't really want to take him but there's no one else Uh, because they've seen what happened to Boehner and and Ryan. And this is worse. Uh, Yeah. So have you seen it before? Yes. I mean, we've seen uh, echoes of this with Boehner and, and Ryan and the Freedom Caucus and Tea Party. But this is far, far more extreme, more crazy, authoritarian, more of them who want to just burn the damn institution down, just what you saw January 6th was really about. And Unlike, I think, those previous two that were may have had not sizable majorities or not super big ones, but no one's had it, you know, a four-seat majority of Boehner and Ryan, I don't think. So you're looking at tougher politics, more extreme politics, and no margin for error, which means they'll always have him. Even if he does get the speakership, they will always have him hostage from day one. You do this. Or we're not, you know, you're not going to be speaker tomorrow. You do that, or we're not going to be. You're not going to be speaker. We get to investigate toast, you know, whatever they want to do, right? Which is, by the way, part of the reason no one else wants it.
3: Right. Well, that goes back to the whole why Sununu didn't want to run for Senate argument. That I think a lot of the the reasonable people that could be Republicans at Congress are like, no, we want no part of
1: this. Well, that may we may stumbled on how he gets the votes. I mean, basically. No one else wants it. There's no one else. And, you know, they try a couple times and finally throw their hands up and say, let them have it. Have it we'll hold them. I don't know that that
2: does happen, though, because the thing is, there's, as we've seen, like with the election denial stuff, I think there's more than four of them who are going to are stridently crazy, right? We're going and making yeah. the well, same the argument more. <laughs> that, hey, we've got to elect we got to just give it to Kevin cuz this is doing damage. They don't really give a shit about that and I don't know how you got to deal right. with people who are that um you know that strident. I think the other thing about all of this that's fascinating to me, I was talking on election night to one of my favorite democrats that is isn't on this podcast um So they'd be a level below that, since I think you guys are probably my favorite Democrats in the world. But I was talking to this person, and they're like, oh, my God, I think we're going to get to 219. And I I said to him, I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? I'm not sure you want to be at 218 or 19. Like, that's a train wreck politically. It's a train wreck. I'm like, don't don't be saying that. If it's going to be 218, 219, 220, Like you want them to own it because to be honest, it's the Republican party that turned the house into this shit show by trying to make it govern. Like it's a parliamentary system that at the end of the day is what Republicans tried to do. And a parliamentary system works perfectly well. If you have multiple parties, so you can build coalitions, but our system is built on the idea that the coalition is built ahead of time. And when you have a coalition that's built with two, with With partners that don't really want to be partners and aren't willing to give uh and this small of majority i mean if it were a parliamentary system my guess is by by june kind of the joe's point there'd be a vote of no confidence and you'd be having new elections yeah that's what you'd yeah
1: Instead, it's like, you could be right. It's like, you know, don't negotiate with top terrorists and, and McCarthy has to. Right. So, yeah, that is, that is, sage. you know, the, the, that's, that's what's going on. They will have him hostage. They've got him hostage right now. If he agrees to everything, uh,
2: that's how he becomes speaker. But you know, what's crazy about it too is, is how's he going to honor the Hastert rule? I think the Hastert rule is still in place that a majority of the caucus has to agree before they're voting on anything. How's he going to go down that path? Like, he's either going to get nothing done other than a bunch of investigations and maybe that's what they want, right? Like at the end of the day, control of the house for them, isn't about helping the American people. It's just about politics and power and fucking and Tom fuckery. Yeah. Well, that's with, what it's you know, it down.
1: That's what they're,
2: Pushing out Hunter Biden's laptop and all the other crazy shit like they did with Benghazi. And here's the thing with Benghazi. The the ambassador who was killed is somebody that I had interacted with when I was doing democracy building. I did not know him well, but I had, had been in meetings with him on two occasions. He was an incredibly serious guy. He knew what he was doing when he was going there. Right. The risk that he was taking. And they blew it up into this huge thing about Hillary Clinton and all the rest of it. And then it went away the day after the election. It was like caravans from from Latin America. And and that is Hunter Biden's laptop. And here's the thing that pisses me off is somebody who's all my drinking buddies back home are, you know, Republicans, and some of them vote, probably most of them voted for Trump the first time. A bunch of them voted for Biden the second time. Most of them voted for Tony Evers and Ron Johnson figured that out. <laughs> but like the the whole Hunter Biden laptop is an attempt by these people to think that my buddies are a bunch of rubes who are gonna who are gonna get so outraged by that that they're gonna vote for for whoever the Republican is, right? And, and it really kind of pisses me off because they actually, they deep down are the ones who look on those people with disdain and think they're stupid and they're not.
0: Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, click com, or just stop by. Grainger, for the ones who get it done.
3: Guys, I want to zoom out even further. Trick, you asked the question I wanted to get to earlier, which was, you know, thinking about the band in line. There was a really interesting piece in The New Yorker. First of all, it was it was Isaac Chotner, who he's one of those people, for those of you listening who don't know, he's like one of those investigative reporters who, if he's on your call sheet, you should probably change your name and move to another country because he just digs and digs. He's one of the best. And he interviewed Mort Klein, who's the head of, I think it's the Zionist Organization of America. Basically, it's the super right wing pro-Israel organization that basically says, and this is what Chotner gets to, it doesn't really matter how anti-Semitic you are. As long as you're pro-Israel, we're still going to vote for you. They honored Trump. And this gets to the whole thing with Kanye and Nick Fuente. Basically, like what I'm trying to get to is there's this segment that no matter what is still with Trump. And, and Trigvi, this is really for you. These might've been people that we thought we could have moved at one time, but they keep coming up with these new reasons. And I really encourage everyone to read this article because the, the whataboutism this guy does to just keep acknowledging that he's never going to do anything other than support Trump is is pretty wild. So zooming out, Trig, how does that affect, I mean, not just this article, but how does all of this affect how we see those kind of movable people along that band in line for for 2024 and beyond?
2: Um, Alex, I think this is your attempt to give them a. Of peek behind the curtain because you and I have this conversation all the time and did for the last six months. So like, what's going on with the Bannon line? Uh, so I think it is clear that that if you look at at 2016, you know, with the Lincoln Project, I mean, 2020 with the Lincoln Project, when we were thinking about the Bannon line, we really thought it was maybe like six percent were potential people, and we needed to get above four. Alex, as you know, you and I talked about this a lot, post Dobbs and 1-6, well, 1-6, then Dobbs, um, we kind of felt like it was maybe more 8 9% were potentially persuadable. I think that number has gone up. Uh, and I think it's gone up because if if when Republicans nominate crazy, Doug Mastriano, Tudor Dixon, um, to a lesser extent, Tim Michaels, Shapiro, uh, Shapiro got something like, I think it was 16% in the exit polls. Of Republicans, uh, Whitmer got 14. Evers got seven. It's it's bigger than it was. The anti-Semitism when you start slicing into that, I agree with you. There is a mental gymnastics that goes on with Donald Trump, and you know he can meet with Kanye and Fuentes, and they will say, well, but Jared and Ivanka are Jewish but he moved the capital to Jerusalem, right? Jerusalem.
3: Right, he prayed at
2: the wall. Yeah, exactly. Trump says, grab him by the pussy. What do you think Bill Clinton probably said to women? Right, like the entire thing is built on the what about stuff. So I don't know how much that impacts the Bannon line. I think, you know, it, it may a little because it, it makes it harder to get some of those people to come over. But I still think on the aggregate, the Bannon line has grown. And we have a bigger opportunity of people because, you know, there are now 14% of Republicans in the state of Michigan who have a track record of voting Democrat down the line. They all voted for Benson and they voted in the AG's race, right? Now our job, and quite honestly, even more Democrats' job, is to lock those people in, to make them understand that the crazy is the coalition. And it doesn't matter if the top of the ticket is named Trump or DeSantis or... You know, Mike Pompeo or or Bob, right? That 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 is the coalition. And if you know, if you can get seven percent of those people locked in in Michigan, Michigan's off the table for for Republicans in in twenty twenty
1: four. Yeah, I've actually started to think that it's like the line's growing, the band line is expanding because it's a hate line. If you can get people to vote against the haters. So whether that's anti, all the different things that the whataboutism tries to cover for that the lines, it moves. In other words, they have to start looking beyond the party. And do they really want to stay in, with which I do think happened. That's why the, the line grew so much is because a lot of Republicans realized, hey, I am not one of those MAGA hating election denying crazies. But I think the thing that's expanding it is the hatred is really starting to come through. And I think that's what sort of January 6th put on display, what that hate can lead to. And I think that's something that's growing that line, and we need to figure that out. How to leverage
2: that even more and break it apart. The key to breaking it apart, I think, is is having sustained reminders to those people who sit along the, the, the new potential Bannon line. After, you know, Warnock and and Walker run against each other, and obviously it looks good for Warnock if everybody, if you're in Georgia, be out knocking on doors while you listen to us, Um, or just don't listen to us and go knock on doors and then when you get home listen to us. What we need to do is we need to be reminding of Republicans not let them use to that audience what about what about what about. We have to be saying to them: Herschel Walker lost because uh, he represents the insanity, and that's why you can't be afford to be voting in primaries or in general. If if the Republicans, if the other the crazy side wins, and you're sane, you can't be voting for them in general elections, and you shouldn't be. That's how we move them. We should be using every opportunity that we have to lock them in against the insanity and the crazy.
3: So, guys, that's just about all the time
2: we've got today, unless Joe or Trigg had anything else you wanted to hit today. So, hey, Joe, I had one question. You know, I saw that, that one, that Biden got some praise from Newt Gingrich that Republicans really need to start acknowledging some of the successes that he's had. Both with Ukraine and then domestically in terms of policy, um, and of course you got the question of you know, does Biden run again? My question to you is what does that process decision making process for him look like, and what do you think his his time frame has to be and should be for for deciding
1: Well, first of all, yeah, I just want to call out that Ginrich said it's time to stop underestimating Biden, gave him credit for passing big bills, monumental bills with small majorities, and credit for how he's handling the war in Ukraine. Uh, Mike, it's hard to get your head wrapped around that, but it was pretty crazy that it was Newt Gingrich who's saying that. So it's not just Democrats. Look, so, so I think, look, the decision's already been made. He's running. And the one thing I think about Biden is I think he really— a lot of people, when they run for president, and a lot of folks that are out there thinking about it right now— make the mistake of saying, I'm not running until I decide to run. And the ones that that succeed are the ones that say, I'm running, damn it, until I decide I'm not. And I think Joe Biden's been running from the get-go. And so I don't think there is a process. A process right now is that they're already probably putting the team together and putting the pieces in place. I don't think there's any doubt. That doesn't mean he will, but I think he's running until he decides he isn't. And I think... A big piece of that is going to be, one, I think if it's the only way I think Joe Biden doesn't run is if it's because he's accomplished so much that he can get out on top, knowing that he's a successful presidency leads to his party having a chance at electing the next president. I don't think he leaves if this is the fight that I think it's going to be. I still think Trump is going to be the nominee. On the Republican side, I still think if he's indicted, he will use that to just heat up that we're all coming out to get him. It's all about stopping him and the and the MAGAs, and that'll work with them. And so, no, I think he, he knows what's at stake. He knows what he wants to get accomplished. He has, Newt Gingrich is right, he did pass and deserves credit for monumental bills that he passed. Uh, more than most presidents could ever hope to do in, in two years with big maturities. And he did it and managed the war in Ukraine, which is still going on. And he's kept the the allies together. It's going to be a tough winter. But I think knowing the stakes, knowing what's the threat still of the authoritarian movement inside the country, I think he's running. And any sign that he isn't makes him weaker, right, in in terms of lame duck, particularly with a small majority in the Senate, even though hopefully it grows. I just think he's all out. I'd be much, much more shocked by him not running. Then, then uh, I think a lot of people who were talking before the election, oh, he's there's no way, there's no way. Well, I never thought that. But now I'm even more sure that I just don't see—I I would be stunned if he doesn't run, if he isn't already running all out. All
3: right, guys. That's just about—that really is now just about all the time we've got.
1: Well— Thanks, Trigby, for coming on. And thanks, everyone, for listening to That Trippy Show. And I hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving. I wanted to say a a few words about this podcast is now a part of Resolute Square. This podcast will always be free. It is part of Resolute Square. But I want to explain a little bit about what Resolute Square is. When I joined the Lincoln Project, I did it because, Trigby and others, that it wasn't about right versus left, Democrats versus Republicans. This is really about a building a pro democracy coalition to take on the autocrats and the enemies of democracy. And that meant all of us coming together. That's why, I joined, across party lines, everybody joined together to fight at the ballot box. And that's what I've dedicated, you know, Alex and I and others have been doing this last cycle together, fighting at the ballot box through our efforts at Lincoln Project. But during that, it became clear to me and others that, look, You've got Fox out there, they've built this machine, Murdoch, billionaires, the Koch brothers, building Fox, Breitbart, Newsmax, this massive right-wing outrage machine that drives all the dialogue. In the, they, they start talking about the caravan coming tomorrow, uh, That that the next outrage is the next caravan coming up. The mainstream media falls right in line and starts reporting on immigration and the holes in the border and all that all that stuff. They just fall right in line with it. Or do both sides as them. So Resolute Square, we decided to launch it because LP a pack, you know, that's for fighting at the ballot box. But if you're going to fight the media and disrupt their right wing machine, we don't have a billionaires that are going to do it. That are going to there's no billionaire that's going to like say, hey, yeah, let's go do what fo- you know, take Fox on uh, and take Breitbart on and disrupt their Uh, Their narrative. And so we're not going to wait around. We've put a lot of us put our own money into this thing to to help launch it. Every time somebody subscribes to it, you're helping build the pro democracy communications hub for creatives and activists to put their voices together and start attacking the media enemies of democracy. And that's what Resolute Square is about. Uh, That's why we've joined it. Uh, you can learn more about us at com backslash Trippy. Again, this podcast will always be here. You can always listen to it. But if you do join Resolute Square, you're helping to build what somebody on our side should have been building for years while Fox was growing and Breitbart was growing and Newsmax was growing and Steve Bannon's podcast was out there and Alex Jones We're going to fight all that stuff and disrupt it and take it on. And uh, we'd like you to be a part of it. Uh, But you could always continue to be here. And so please subscribe to That Trippy Show. Leave a review on Apple or wherever you listen. You can always send us a question to thattrippyshow at gmail.com or leave us a question and review on iTunes. We'll be back next week and see you next time. And thanks, everybody, for your support this, uh, through this midterm and for listening and for spreading the word. Take care.